I'm going to be preaching today another message on understanding authority. This is understanding authority number two, called the rules of engagement. And if you did not get the first one, or if you'd like to go back and listen to the first one again, you can go to Kingdom Gate's uh, Facebook page and watch it there, which was last week. Or you can go to my YouTube site, which is Apostle Ken, and you can watch it there also. I'd encourage you, if you haven't heard this, if you haven't heard the first one, to go and listen to it because it is very good. It ties into this one right here: uh, understanding authority, the rules of engagement. Because with the Lord, there are rules of engagement that He wants us to operate and walk in and live in. When we begin understanding authority, we understand that we don't operate outside those rules of engagement. If we do, we usually wind up getting into trouble if we operate outside the rules of engagement. Even in your home when you were raising your kids, and those of you that are still yet to raise kids, you will have protocol or rules of engagement inside your house. If you don't, you're going to have a crazy, wacky house. And uh, so there's always rules of engagement that you had your kids follow. They had protocol and that sort of thing. And if they didn't follow it, there was usually consequences for not following the rules of engagement or following the protocol inside the home. Same thing is true in the kingdom of God. There are rules of engagement that you and I have to follow in order for us to be successful. Now, you need to grab hold of this because God wants you and I to succeed. He is a successful God. He is not a poverty-stricken God. He's not a God who bathes in defeat, he bathes himself in zeal and victory. He wants us to bathe ourselves in the same thing, in zeal and victory, but do it in a place of humility, not in a place of pride. So that's very important. So we're going to start out here about knowing your boundaries, and it says in Acts 17, verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. This is very important scripture. This is one of my favorite book of Acts scriptures. I have several of them in there, but this is one of the favorites that I have because it begins defining who we are. It begins defining our boundaries. It begins defining our territory that God has given to us. The word determined there in the Greek is the word horizo, H-O-R-I-Z-O. It's where we get our word horizon from. And so you have to begin understanding that and understanding authority, there are horizons that God has appointed us to. When I first learned how to fly back in 1994, when you first start flying, you fly by the horizon or what the old timers used to call in flight, the seat of your pants. And, uh, and you, you did a lot by sight. You saw everything by sight. But then when you f- start flying by instrument rating, you fly only, not by the seat of your pants, not by your horizon, but you fly by your instruments. Flying by sight is good. Flying by instruments is good. It's good to know both of those. And in understanding authority, it's good to know that God has placed us in certain horizons in our life. These are marked out places. These are boundaries the Lord has given to us. He's appointed those. He's decreed those. He's specified and declared those. When mom came up here and mentioned a moment ago that she was glad the Lord allowed her to be my mother, and I am too, 
One of the things that God ordained, see, he knew you and I before the foundation of the earth. Before I was even born, God knew me. Before my mom and dad ever came together, God knew me. And so he ordered in that horizon that Frank and Sylvia would come together in 1954. And then one year and one day after their first anniversary, I was born. One year, one day. Their anniversary is on November 4th. My birthday is on November 5th. Say November 5th. <laughs> Don't forget that. And if you forgot, it's just a few weeks back. You still have time because I celebrate for a whole month. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <clears throat> but see, that's part of my horizon. Even meeting my wife, Cheryl, was part of my horizon. We met in school, first in the fifth grade. I didn't like her. She didn't like me. But in the 10th grade, I borrowed typing paper from her, and I was a very shy person at the time. And so she would talk to me. And that started something on the inside of me that God began connecting us together. And then later on, I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we moved to from where we, we built a house in uh, Providence, Alabama, and then we sold it, moved from there to Montgomery and pastored for four years. That was part of my horizon. But also moving to Florida was part of my horizon. I've been in Florida now a little over 30 years, and Florida is now my home. It's what I call home. It's where I've raised my kids. It's part of my horizon. Now, for the last year, I've been here full-time. This also has become part of my horizon, and you are a part of my horizon, and I'm a part of your horizon. It's important that you get this, because these are things that God has ordered and ordained. People that are around you, God has placed them there in your life, a lot of times to scrub, knock off the rough edges that you might have, sometimes to hone you because iron sharpens iron, sometimes to be an encouragement to you, uh, and, and so we're all one, part, one another a part of the horizon. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, the Lord even takes us a little bit farther, and when I've already talked about it, it says... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. That word predestined there is the word proorizo, which means that he predetermined your horizon. He already predetermined that. Say, so he predetermined my horizon. He predetermined that Dare and I would be together and that Mike would be here and, and that Paul and Debbie would be here. He predetermined all of this, that we would run together. And once we begin learning that where I have been placed, God has, has put me there, we then start unpacking our emotional bags and we say, I'm in this for the long haul. Now let's see what God will do. I'm convinced that many times people have their emotional bags packed and they go from place to place to place. When it's not the will of the Lord, they just have something wrong on the inside of them, and they don't realize that God has given them a boundary or a horizon to walk, and that horizon has been predestined before the dawn of the earth. The Lord told Jeremiah in the first chapter of Jeremiah, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. There's no doubt in my mind that before the foundation of the earth, 
before I was even conceived in my mother's womb, that God ordained me to be a preacher of the gospel of the kingdom of God. I've been foreordained to do that, even when I was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. There's another word here called appointed. It's the Greek word protasso. And it means to put a specific command forward for a specific purpose. To arrange or to set in order before or in front. This is a very good word here also in this scripture here because he has appointed or he has ordained the times, plural, kairos. He has ordained or appointed those. And so before a, before a certain time, he ordained and appointed and spoke into our destiny. He spoke into our life. He spoke into even our history. He spoke into our future. And he said, this is what they're going to do. This is how they're going to do it. And even if they get off course, I have a plan of recovery inside that destiny and that boundary for them to recover. That's a good word there. So that means this, that even if you mess it up, God already has a plan for you to recover. And believe me, we do mess it up sometimes. Just like Abraham, he messed it up by giving his wife away to two different kings, said, just tell them you're my sister. And then God had to reveal to each one of the kings that that was not his sister, that was his wife, and you had better give her back. And so they did, and then he messed it up again. When he brought in uh, Hagar, uh, the, the handmaiden of Sarah, and had a relationship with her, and then uh, Ishmael was born, he messed it up then. But God says, even though you've messed it up, I'm still going to bring forth an Isaac. I'm going to bring forth one that has been born of what I have promised and what I have said. Now, having said that, God is going to get done in the earth what he wants to do. But sometimes it might be that he has to put it off a generation if you don't do your part. He'll raise up another generation to do it. That's a good preaching there. There's the words time, which in this particular case is a plural form of kairos. And it, and it means appointed times or opportune times. A time of opportunity or a proper season. Some of you may not know this, but in Acts, the third chapter, the gate beautiful, the actual Greek name for the word beautiful there is the word horaios. It's another word for time. And it doesn't mean beautiful. It means proper time. And it becomes beautiful because of what happens during that proper time. It, or you could actually call it right time, proper time. And so that man was seated at the gate beautiful day after day after day. He was seated at the right time gate. Jesus actually walked past this man and never healed him because he was waiting for the right time when the church would operate in signs and wonders and miracles. And that man would be healed and 5,000 would come to the Lord on that particular day. The Lord always operates in timing. Say, he operates in timing. Ecclesiastes says, for everything under the sun, there is a time and a season. All right. In December of 2005, I had taken the month off to go deer hunting. Where's Joshua? Deer hunting. December. And I couldn't go deer hunting because I came down with the flu. 
But in the midst of that, I had a visitation from the Lord, and I thought the Lord had come to heal me, but he woke me up in the middle of the night, and the presence of God filled my room. I was running fever and coughing and hacking and sick for several weeks, and, but he had a word for me during this time. And that word says, he said, from this point on, I want you to minister only out of these three things. Either you have an assignment, or you have a word of the Lord, or you are in covenant. Has to be one of those three things for me to go where God tells me to go today. I don't just go anywhere that, that I want to go. And I get lots of invitations, and I turn a bunch of them down every year. Because of the fact I don't believe that God wants me to go to all of them. Has to, want, has to either be an assignment or a word from the Lord or covenant. Now listen, as you're operating in your boundaries and you're working for the Lord, you need to ask yourself this, is what I'm doing an assignment? Because if it's an assignment, you will have authority to carry out what you're doing. You need to be sure that it's an assignment. I'll get over in a little bit later in how that people all across, especially in Florida, trying to get me to take up their cause or their assignment. And I don't do all of them, although it would be a noble thing to do, make you try to make you look good. You only want to do what the Lord's called you to do. There are assignments I've had over the years. You can write down some of yours here. I had an assignment at one time for Key West. We went for three or four years into Key West, Florida, had great success and seeing Key West shift and change. Even some of the homosexual magazines wrote about Key West and said that Key West is now family-friendly and is no longer homosexual-friendly community. I thought that was amazing that God was doing that. And, and they actually began making, causing all the resorts in the area to become family-oriented in Key West. We had a We've had two assignments with Rick Scott. We had one assignment in 2010, and God spoke to me and said, I want him to be the next governor of Florida. So we worked to make that happen. He became the governor. In 2015, the Lord spoke to me again before he even said anything about running. And he said, I want Rick Scott to be the next senator from Florida, and 2018 can be a year that Bill Nelson can be defeated. So we worked to see that happen, and God did that. We've had assignments for the Supreme Court in both uh, seeing uh, John Roberts, Samuel Alito, uh, Gorsuch, and now, help me, Kavanaugh become Supreme Court justices in our nation. What has happened in the Supreme Court now because of these assignments is our court has shifted to constitutional pro-life judges. We now have a 5-4 court that is centered on constitutional rather than what everybody else is doing in the world. And we're going to get a couple of more. So we've had that assignment. I could go on and list assignment after assignment. We've broken suicide off of schools in this state. Also, whenever you plan to work in your rules of engagement, you need to ask yourself this, do I have a word from the Lord? What word do you have to operate even in that boundary that you're in? Do you have a word? Uh, is there not a cause? And we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Well, let's talk about it now. In 
1 Samuel 17, 29, you'll see the words there where David said, is there not a cause? David went out to the field of battle to take food to his brothers, brethren, and put it up on King James Version if you have it there. And he, he went out because his dad told him to go out. He gets out there and he hears the giants taunting the armies of Israel, cursing them. Something rose up on the inside of him, and he says, what will be done for the man who takes out this giant? And they told him this, this, and this, and then he said, say it again. And so they told him. He wouldn't have to pay taxes. He would have lands. He'd get the king's wife. That didn't turn out too good, but he still got her anyway. And so he says, let no man's heart fear him because of this giant. Your servant is here to take him out. His brother hears this, Eliab, and comes to him and says, what are you doing here? I know your heart. You're filled with pride. You're filled with arrogance. Now, you need to go home. Besides, who have you left those sheep with? He was the one who tended the sheep, but his dad had sent him. And he said this right here. He said an important word. Is there not a cause, which is the Hebrew word debar, D-A-B-A-R, And it actually means, is there not a word? Or is there not a promise? It can be translated several different ways. He could have been saying, don't we have a word from the Lord about this giant? He could have been saying, don't we have a promise that God will deliver us from these kind of things? Don't we have a history of God delivering us? That word debar means several of those things there. And so you have to ask yourself the question. When you're operating in the realm of the Spirit, operating in the kingdom of God, do I have a word from the Lord to do what God's called me to to do what I'm doing or what I think I should do? That's one of the things I ask. You know, do I have a word from the Lord? You know, I watch the commercials with the kids starving over in Africa, and I just want to give them all I have. But do I have a word from the Lord to do that? Because those commercials are geared to make you cry. We was watching one several years ago with Kenna, but it wasn't with the kids. It was with the poor puppies, you know, that had been abused and everything. And she starts crying watching this commercial because the commercial, its intention is to grab your emotions, make you cry. And she said, Papa, can't we give them something? <laughs> and, but you have to have a word from the Lord for that. Do you have a word? Number three covenant these are the three things he said don't go anywhere don't do anything except this either an assignment word of the lord or covenant who are you in covenant with and that's what you need to ask yourself ann is from over in saint pete wave at everybody ann she's been with us i don't know since for the last 12 years i think somewhere along there Cheryl and I are in covenant with her. If she said she's a vice president of student affairs over at St. Petersburg College, and she, if she said, I need you over here, Cheryl and I would go over there because of that covenant. Rick Curry was the same way with Cheryl and I. We don't hear much from Rick now because he's not pastoring anymore in Florida. He's traveling all over the country. But Rick Curry was the same way that if I needed something, I could call him 
in Pensacola, and he would immediately make his way down to Central Florida. If it was money I needed, Rick would give me the money that I needed if he had it because of covenant. I was so amazed when God began connecting us together. He tried to connect with me for several years and always make it hard for people to connect with me because you don't want to connect with everybody, you know. So those who really feel like it's a God connection, they will continue to pursue. And so he did. He continued to pursue. And then when we began connecting, we were doing a meeting up on the 22nd floor of the Capitol. We had about 200 people from Florida there one night doing a meeting and Rick and his wife had come, and I saw the type of covenant this man had. We were responsible for cleaning the place up and putting up all the chairs. And it was quite a bit of work. And I watched as the thing was over as person after person that you would have thought would have helped you did not stay and help. But here this pastor and his wife, who's ever heard of a pastor doing this, this pastor and his wife stays to the very end till every floor is mopped, every floor is swept, and every carpet is cleaned, and every chair is put up. We were there one time to one in the morning, and they stayed right there. Covenant. Look at somebody and say, I want covenant. See, now, covenant's important because there are acquaintances, and there are friends, and then there's covenant. And that's totally different. Because in covenant, you lay your life down for someone else. And I like that. And you don't want to be in covenant with everybody. But you want to be in covenant with those that God brings to you that are committed to I don't know how to put it. Covenant's like a marriage. Who, who will be committed to the marriage. And that when you mess up, they won't depart. Or when they mess up, you won't depart. That's the real covenant. Now, I've been to lunches from hell. I, I, I'll tell you about one of them. This guy kept pestering me and pestering me and pestering me about connecting with him and so I finally gave in and I drove over to where he was which I normally don't do and we sat down to lunch and he was just very demanding that I connect with him and so I said well let's see who this guy knows in Tampa so I started dropping some names I said yeah I know him yeah I know him we get along great and then I dropped another name yeah, I know him, but there's bad blood between us. I said, yeah, I know this guy. I said, I wonder why. He said, well, he didn't want me to marry my wife. And he shows me a picture of his wife, and he says, look here, we've been married for 15 years now. And he called the guy's name, and he threw the picture down and said, now see there? Married for 15 years. So after the lunch from hell, I called up my friend, and I said, can you... Tell me why this guy hates you so bad. He said, yeah, I can tell you. He said, the wife that he married, he had to get custody from her mother in order to marry her because he was 25 years old and she was 15 years old. So you don't want to go to lunch with everybody. Now when people want to go to lunch with me and they're halfway across the state, I say, okay. I say, you drive all the way here and you buy my lunch. 
By the way, I had to buy that lunch that day. <laughs> Rules of engagement are operating according to God's way. It will guarantee you victory. We're going to look at eight rules of engagement here. Number one is you need to know your sphere, your metron. The Greek word for sphere or measure, we'll read here in the scripture here, is the word metron. And it means your boundaries where God has placed you. We're going to read this. This is out of the Passion Translation. It says, but we are those who choose to limit our boasting only to the measure of the work to which God has appointed us. Now grab hold of that because that's important. When you're operating in authority, you operate in the measure that God's appointed you. He says, by the way, has reached as far as you, since you are within our assigned limits. We didn't overstep our boundaries of authority by being the first to announce to you the wonderful news of the anointed one. We're not trying to take credit for the ministry done by others, going beyond the limits God set for us. Instead, our hope soars as your faith continues to grow, causing a great expansion of our ministry among you. That's 2 Corinthians 10, verses 13 through 15. I love this because he begins sharing there. He's saying, he said, every one of us has boundaries. Every one of us has spheres. We've had have metrons. I've been watching Pastor Kendall lately as the Lord enlarges his sphere within the community. It's been amazing. He's now chaplain of the fire department over here. And he does, uh, he does things over at the school here. And he's just, God has literally just expanded his boundaries. I mentioned to him the other day, I don't know if you've done this yet, but checking on being the chaplain at the hospital, at Holmes Hospital there. Because I watch him as he gets into that sphere and that boundary and he just glows. Doesn't he? He glows. You can tell he's in his metron there. I watch Paul Booten as Paul Booten, when he shifts to operating in the realm of the prophetic, I watch his face glow because he stepped into that realm. I watch, been watching Ann for a long time, but when she steps into that place, uh, she has two metrons she operates in as far as gifting. One is intercession, and the other one is dance. I've, I've seen her unlock the heavens with both of them. She has another metron over there at the school that she's in. God has placed her and set her there. And she goes, she's gone through many uh, deans, administrations, and that sort of thing, but she stayed right there because that's her metron where God has appointed her. This is a good word. Inside this metron, you have great authority. When I go to Tallahassee or Washington, D.C. to work among the politicians, I don't tell them how to do it because that's their metron. I will tell them the word of the Lord that God's given me. I will pray with them. I'll spend sometimes hours or even days in prayer at those places. Part of that is my metron, but in that metron, they have greater authority than I do inside that metron. And so... If you can find a politician that you can work with, you can begin sharing with them the word of the Lord and what the Lord is saying. And when you're able to do that, you're able to then begin to influence an entire state or a nation because now you're influencing people at the top of the mountain rather than down at the bottom of the mountain. Woo! Inside your metron, you have great authority. Great authority. 
Your, your gifting, your calling, everything's inside your metron. You need to look at your boundaries. What are the boundaries that God has placed us in, placed you in? Because inside your boundaries, you have tremendous authority. What is your boundaries? Just recently, back on October the 18th, 2018, Chuck Pierce prophesied to this house and said, extend your boundaries to both coastlines. Even Cindy Jacobs, when she was here, she said this, that the glory is going to be poured out on the coastline and the coastland. Two prophets, we've had three in here, two prophets, national prophets have come in here and have stated that God is moving in the coastline and coastland. And now God has said, you know, we've got to think differently, Kingdom Gate. God has said now, I want you to extend your boundaries from Jacksonville all the way down to Miami, from Pensacola all the way down to Key West. I want you to extend your boundaries. I want you to begin thinking because that's the metron I've now given to this house. That's the metron I've given to this people. Now think differently, decrees the Lord. You have to start thinking different. We, we, and I know I'm going to upset some feathers here, but... It'll be fun. Okay. I'll enjoy it. You may not, depending on if your feathers get ruffled or not. <laughs> We've got to stop thinking like a local church and begin thinking like kingdom people. Even if, now different, different congregations have different assignments. There's nothing wrong with that. Some, some congregations are called to just pastor and minister to the people that are there. That's not our calling. Our calling is beyond the borders of this house. It's beyond you. But you are a part of that calling. You place, have a significant purpose in seeing God Bring that glory to the coastline and coastland, even if you never travel there. You have significant purpose, and you might say, well, how can I be involved in that? Well, there's several ways you can be involved in that. One is you can pray. You can pray for the coastline and coastland. Or you may decide to go. Who knows? We're going to, as I've been getting, looking at this, we're going to be hitting the coastline and coastland at some point. I don't know exactly when yet. I've been reading over this prophecy Chuck gave, and he said, consecrate three days to sanctify yourself. So we're going to do that in January, and then we're going to decide how to do it. Or if you, don't, or if you can't just pray, you can also give money because it's going to cost to go to these different places. So we've got to begin thinking differently. And if you would, turn in your Bible to Joshua chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. I'll be reading this out of the New American Standard. Because here the Lord begins defining Joshua's boundaries. He says in verse 3, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I have spoke to Moses. Now you could read that right there and take that the wrong way. Because Joshua's feet were only going to tread in one place. And that was in Canaan land. They were not going to tread across the globe. And so he goes on. Let me, let me stop right there and say this. In certain areas and regions, you can have authority. 
and that you won't have in other areas of region. I'll give you an example of this. The Reinhardt Bunkie that ministers in South Africa is a different Reinhardt Bunkie that ministers here. In South Africa, he will have millions come to his meetings. In South Africa, he will see thousands healed. In America, he'll be doing good to get 5,000 to come and one or two healed in one meeting. What's the difference there? Metron, his sphere of authority. I believe that God has brought him here. He, lived, he used to live in Vero Beach. He now lives down on Singer Island, south of here in West Palm Beach County, or Palm Beach County. And um, I believe he's sent him here to light a fire under the church. I was in one meeting with him with a bunch of pastors, and I've never seen anybody more passionate in seeing God come into America than this man does. Passionate guy. All right, let's read on. He begins defining his borders now, and he says, From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses. I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and be very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which, my Mo which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all, according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now several things the Lord has spoke. First, he defines his borders. He says, this is where your authority lies. There's no, and I'm just going to take this because I want to get personal with people. I watched Lauren as she, we went to her open house last night. Lauren has tremendous authority, especially in Cocoa Beach. You have tremendous authority in that area, but it stretches even beyond that, probably to the whole Space Coast. But especially in Cocoa Beach, you have tremendous authority. Not only do you have authority there, you have an inheritance there. And I'm not just talking about money. You have a spiritual inheritance that I believe that the Lord is saying, I've given that region to Lauren Barley. I believe it belongs to you. And if you step into your destiny, step into his plans for you, you will take that region for the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Let his word, let his prophetic word, let his purpose for your life now become your adrenaline. She's an adrenaline junkie, so that's why I said that. <laughs> all right so another thing he said he said no man can stand stand against you in this sphere that God placed him no man's going to be able to stand against him he went on to tell him in verses six seven and nine that in this sphere you had better be courageous and that's important because he's about to step into a land filled with giants he already knew that because he's seen them but he tells him he said listen no man's going to be able to stand before you, not even the giants. But I'm going to tell you three times that in this sphere of authority where I have placed you, you had better be courageous. And that's important. 
Because if we're going to do what God has called us to do as a body here, we're going to have to be courageous because we're going to have to buck the tradition. We're going to have to buck the religion. We're going to have to buck the status quo of the church and refuse to be like every other church in the region. Woo! That's good there. Then in verse 8, he said, meditate for success. Meditate to be successful. I started out with this, that God wants you to be successful. He wants you to succeed. Don't ever get into this defeatist mentality, this victim mentality that woe is me and that everybody is against me. Get that off of you. That is a victim mentality that the enemy has placed upon you to keep you from being successful. And as long as you think that way, you won't be successful. But if you break that off and start thinking victoriously, successfully, God has called me to be a success. He's called me to be the best at what I'm called to do. And start meditating on his word, meditating on what he's called you to do. You will begin having success. Number two, know your assignment. You need to be well-trained in your assignment, your gift, and your authority. Know your limits. Have you counted the cost? That's important there. That you know your limits, that you know your assignment, that you know what you're up against, and that you count the cost. That's very important because you don't want to start something and not finish it. Somebody was saying something to me the other day, why don't we have this here? And I said, well, why don't you start it? What they're looking for me to do is start it and keep it running and keep it functioning and that sort of thing. And I'm not going to do that because that's, that's not what we're called to do or be. So you have to count the cost as to whether or not you can do that. And we're going to read Luke 14, 28 through 32. This is out of the New American Standard. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. See, both of those situations are counting the cost. This is a thing you want to do. You don't want to start in some kind of ministry and then not finish it. I guess you could call this Ministry 101 today the uh, rules of engagement. If you start it, be sure you're going to have to finish. This is why the Lord came back to Zerubbabel. In Zechariah, the fourth chapter, Zerubbabel laid the foundations of the temple, but for 16 years, no work had been done to it. People were discouraged. They were depressed. They had been taunted by their enemies, uh, and they didn't have workers enough to come and work on it. And then Zechariah comes along with Haggai and begins prophesying into Zerubbabel's life, into Joshua, the, uh, the high priest's life began prophesying into the remnant of the people and said this right here. He said, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid this foundation. His hands will finish it. And it caused Zerubbabel and all the people to rise up into action. So listen to this. God has started something here at Kingdom Gate. 
He has started shifting us into an apostolic hub, looking more like the book of Acts. He started this. Now we have to continue on the course to see this thing move into its fullness that God has called it to be. Amen. Know your assignment. I just did that one. You need to know what you're up against. When you're fighting a good fight of faith, are you up against a big dull principality or just a demon? That's two di- those are two different things. Totally different things. A demon rule, I mean, a, a demon usually rules within people, but a principality rules over cities, states, and nations. And so you need to know what you're dealing with when you go up against something. And I'll share more about that in another message. You need to ask this question here. If so, what are they? And has God given you the assignment and strategy to defeat the enemy? Do you have the assignment and the strategy to defeat him? And let me say this. If you're dealing with issues in your life, fear, rejection, inferiority, don't go up against a big dog demon principality because it'll just manifest. You get those things out of your life first. Number four, you need to know your alignment. Now, let me go back to number three. I'm sorry. The reason you want to know what you're up against and whether or not you have been called to that assignment is because if you haven't, you may give the enemy an opportunity to take you out. This happened to Josiah. Josiah was a successful king, began ruling when he was eight years old. In his, in, when he was 18, everything began to shift, and he began to bring out all of the Baal stuff that was in the temple, bring it out and destroy it. He, he began reinstituting the reading of the law back into uh, Judah, and everything about the region began transforming. They moved into a time of peace. God was pleased with it. And then the king of Egypt came up to a certain place. I forget what it was. But his name was Necho. And he came to make war with another person, but not with Josiah. Josiah wanted to jump into the battle so bad that he jumped into his battle array, got into his chariot, and went up to meet this king. And King Necho, the king of Egypt, told him, he says, go home. This is not your fight. He said, God has given me this fight, and I will win, but this is not your fight. And so Josiah turned, and he headed home. And then before he gets home, he disguises himself, comes back into the battle arena, is wounded with an arrow between his shoulder blades, and goes home to Jerusalem and dies because he got into a battle that was not his. And one of the things I do not do is I do not get in the battles that I have not been called to. You can call to me until you're blue in the face. If I'm not called to that battle, I will not go into it because I only want to fight those that God has given to me. And having said that, stop fighting these sissy, petty battles that are personal wars. We got real quiet in here, didn't we? Those little personal battles in war that you have, you need to mature past that. And quit fighting that. 
and start rolling in the victory of the Lord that has already been given you through Jesus Christ. Embrace his victory. And if you're going to get in a battle, get in one that you've been called to and get in one that you can win. Praise God. I like that. Number four, know your alignment. This is very important. You need to know your alignment. We would call this in the old days covering. I don't like to use the word covering because covering implies control. But alignment implies coming up alongside someone else to empower them, to help them, to get them in the right position, right place. The reason we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is to equip them, which is the word katartizo in the Greek, and it means to put them in proper place or proper alignment. And so you want to know your alignment. You want to be in relationship with the alignment God has placed you in. Make it a point to relate. In a God-covenant relationship, there is an authority that is transformed from one to another. Whenever I came into alignment with Dutch Sheets, and I consider him my apostle, I look to him for counsel, but he doesn't cover me, he has come alongside me. When I aligned with him back in 2000, my authority level went off the chain because of that alignment. I now have a close, deep relationship with him today. He will call me, and I'll I'll call him also my best friend. I have a few best friends. I have friends, but then I have best friends. You know what I'm talking about? Different levels of friendship. Jesus had different levels of, uh, of disciples with him. He had the 500, the 70, the 12, and the 3. The 3 saw things the 12 didn't see. The 12 saw things the 70 didn't see. The 70 saw things that the 500 didn't see. And so there's different levels of it. But what you want to do is that you want to make it a point to relate to the person that God has aligned you with. Now, having said that, this is important what I'm about to share. It's up to you to make that relationship happen. you got to think about me for a moment. Not only am I responsible here, I'm responsible in an entire state. Somebody asked me a while back, how big is your church? I said, roughly over 20 million people, because that's how many people are in Florida. So you have to think about that. So that means the responsibility is heavier upon you for the relationship. So in my relationship with Dutch, I make it a point to relate to him, to move that relationship in the direction where I am relating to him. And he will respond as well. But he is over a nation, so he can't relate he can't just say, call me up, Ken, how are you? I don't th- he's only done that one time in the 18 years I've known him. And did you know that I ran with him for 10 years before he ever laid hands on me and prayed for me? 10 years. Now, you know, if you, if you had some petty issues, you would have said, he doesn't love me. He doesn't like me. He doesn't want to be with me. But you've got to get past those. And there was one time, and I've told it here before, there was one time in my life where the enemy attacked me and told me, he said, you need to walk away from your relationship with Dutch because he's not spending enough time with you, not paying enough attention to you. And this went on for two weeks as I was melting in my pity and had the pouty face and the pouty spirit. And finally, after two weeks, I broke out of that. I said to myself, Why are you thinking this way? 
And you need to ask yourself this question sometime. Why am I thinking this way? Why am I thinking this person's against me? Or why am I thinking that they don't want me? Or why am I thinking that he didn't pray for me? I don't know. You need to ask yourself that, not me. Because then all of a sudden you'll begin seeing that that argument that the enemy's made with you has no validity. And you can begin having victory in Jesus' name. In God covenant relationship, there is authority that is transferred from one to another. But remember this, you don't want to bunk up with anybody. There was Moses and Joshua had relationship, Elijah and Elisha, and David and Jonathan. These were covenant relationships, Jesus and his three, Jesus and his 12, Jesus and his 70, Paul and Timothy. These were covenant relationships that were built by the Spirit of God to bring damage into the kingdom of darkness and bring the kingdom of God into the earth. It's a good word there. Elijah, I I love this about Elijah. He walks by Elisha one day and just walking past him. Elisha's working with his oxen and he takes his mantle and he throws it on him and Elisha jumps up and starts following him. He said, wait a minute, listen, I need to go say goodbye to my mom and dad. He says, what have I said to you? What have I done to you? He says, just give me time. So he goes and says, bye. And he kills the people, not the people, he kills the oxen that he worked with for sacrifice and food. And he builds a fire out of the yoke that he worked with them. Builds a fire to do all that on, meaning that he was about to forsake what he had known and move into a new relationship with a prophet that was going to cause him to do greater works because of that. Listen to this. Because of that relationship, Elisha did greater works than Elijah did. More works. But when you get to the New Testament, you know who has talked about more? Elijah is talked about more than Elisha is in the New Testament. You want to know why? Because he was a father. That's why. He knew how to pass down to another generation that which God had placed on the inside of him. That's why that relationship and that alignment is so important. Number five, agreement. These are rules of engagement. Agreement is the power of life. He says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it but shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Matthew 18, 19, 20. That word agree there is the word symphoneo. Where we get our word symphony from, where we get our word phone from, to sound together is what it actually means. But if you ever listen to a symphony when they're tuning their instruments, it's the most awful sound you ever want to hear. Because all the instruments have their own unique sound. And when they're tuning, you got one that's whining over here and another one's whining over here. But all of a sudden, the maestro, the conductor, comes to the platform. He taps his wand, raises his hands, and then, bam, they all come into unity. And there is a king today by the name of Jesus who has taken the stage and who is waiting for his people to begin coming together in a symphony, a symphony to begin making the music of heaven in the earth, to begin moving in one accord in the earth. They all have their separate sounds until the maestro 
takes the platform. The conductor takes the platform. And then all their sounds begin to blend. Just like the different gifts begin to blend. The different personalities begin to blend. We have to do what Psalms 133 says. We have to learn to dwell together. Because when we learn to dwell together, the result of that is unity. You can't do unity, but you can learn how to dwell. Dwell is a verb. Unity is a noun. You can't do a noun. But unity is the result of the verb dwell. When we learn how to dwell, then unity is a result of that. Number six, do you have a word? What is the word of the Lord? We've talked about this earlier. Do you have confirmation? Have circumstances aligned? Do you have a multitude of counsel? When I get a word from the Lord that's going to be very impactful to me and Cheryl, the state of Florida, or to others, I always, when I hear that, I don't immediately get up and do it. I process it. This is very important. I've, I've seen ministers get up and do a word right after they got it. And they didn't have time to process it. And it would come across the wrong way. I take time to process it. And after I've processed it, I take it to my prophet, Cheryl Malone. Because the girl hears from the Lord. There's just no doubt about it. I take it to her. And I want to hear what she says. And then I take it to my apostle, Dutch Sheets, because I want to hear what he says. And then I take it to one of my spiritual daughters that I raised up to be a prophet, Wendy, who lives in Lakeland, because I want to hear what she says. Because in a multitude of counsel, there's success. Here's one of the things that the, we as all of us, I'm not just talking to you today that we forget. We forget many times to get that multitude of counsel because of the pride issue that we have on the inside of us. Let's look at what Proverbs says. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. I love that. Without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many, say many. Many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 15, 22. Now, Proverbs 24, 6 says, For by wise guidance, you will wage war and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. You want to, don't be afraid to go and ask somebody. And don't go to your yes person either. Just don't go to your yes person. Everybody's got yes people. You don't want to always go to your yes people. You want to go to somebody who's going to tell it to you just like it is. Because the yes people are going to tell you what you want to hear. Besides, they got it from you anyway. You need somebody who's going to, that's one of the things I like about my wife when I go to her. She'll tell me when I'm wrong. She won't try to appease me. She won't try to, and some of you husbands, you need to start listening to your wives because they're carrying the word of the Lord many times and you're too hard-headed to listen. That went over well, except with the wives. The wives really liked that, but the husbands didn't care for that at all. (laughs) But I carry it to her, and if any of you know her, you know that she's not a yes person. She's, she's not that way. And she will tell me what she thinks, and then I decide whether or not to, to take the counsel. Number seven, understanding God's government. I'm going to move real quickly here. Understanding God's government is very important. In Matthew 16, the government increases there. When he t- starts saying to Peter, he says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Very important word, church there. Because it's the Greek word ekklesia. And it actually does not mean church like you and I think of church. You and I think of church in many different ways. We either think of it as a building or we think of it as a group of people. But when Jesus said it in that day, the word ekklesia It was a legislative body, a group of people who governed. And Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. He was not talking about what we go to on Sunday morning. He was not talking about that. He was talking about a group of people who legislates heaven in the earth and brings heaven's desire into earth's realm. And that's very important because... You have to begin, as a group of believers, you have to begin moving as an ecclesia. There are times when we come together that we need to come together just to worship and soak. But there are times that we need to come together as an ecclesia where we make decisions that have been made in heaven and decree those in the earth. This is good now. In other words, that's war. And in the body of Christ right now, I don't know if you know this or not, and this may be why some of you are struggling, we're in a war. We're not in a soaking season right now. There will be seasons to soak to come, maybe after Jesus comes, but (laughs) we're in a season of warfare right now. This is why so much is going on in the earth. We're beginning to gain victory after victory in the world system. The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, even as we speak. And so there's a lot of warfare going on, which means that now my my mind has to shift from a soaking mentality into a warring mentality. And so you have to begin understanding government, that we need to come together as a body to make rules To rule in the earth what heaven has already said. Matthew 25 talks about the different levels of authority in God's government. You can go and read it there about the talents he gave one to one, two to another, five to another. And he told him, he said, go and make more with this. And the one who received five made how much? Five more. The one who received two received two, made two more. The one who received one went and dug a hole in the ground because of fear and didn't reproduce what God had given to him. And this is very important. I talked about this in last week's message in detail uh, about how that we've got to now begin realizing that our success rate is to double. The level of success, the level of authority, if we will use it and work it and operate it, it will cause an increase of double in our life. So go and listen to last week's message. It'll talk more about that. Number eight, last one. Rules of engagement. Be watchful. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Now, I love this scripture here. I always have. He says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Now, when Josh and I and Bryant went hunting the other day, on the last day that we were there, I saw three deer come out into the field, two does and a fawn. 
I would have tried to take in one of the does because doe season was in, except I did not know which one was the mom. And if I had known which one was the mom, I'd have taken the other, but didn't want to take the chance because I want that fawn. I, that fawn could be coming up in to be a 14, 15-point buck. Who knows? And so he may be growing just for me. And so I need to leave him alone. But when those deer came out in the field, the wind was blowing in such a way that they was catching my scent, even though I was 200 yards away. And their ears would go up like this, and they're on the alert. Both of them, both the does were. The fawn was just prancing around and eating grass and this sort of thing, you know, and wasn't paying any attention to me, but those does had their eyes, 200 yards, had their eyes on me because they were alert to them. I was an enemy. I guess I was. To me, they were food. But to them, I was an enemy. You and I have to become alert in that same manner. That we just don't walk through life without a, I don't know how to put it. Walk through life in a quesera, sera type of lifestyle. We need to be alert because the enemy is on the prowl. He's seeking to devour whoever he can. But he goes on to say here, he says, resist him. Firm in your faith. Had a, someone call me the other day. I won't mention any names because you know them. And for eight months, they've been delivered from a certain addiction that they've had. And, uh, and the other day, they were struggling. They said, I've been eight months free, but I have now stepped into a fight and I now want this more than I've ever wanted anything in my life. So there's nothing I could do to break that off of them because I wanted them to do that. But I could give them counsel because of that alignment that we have. I said to them, I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to confess every scripture that you know by heart over and over and over and over and over again until that breaks off of you. Because according to Joshua chapter 1, meditating, decreeing that word will cause you to be successful. I text them back about two hours later. I said, did you get it off of you? They said, yes. I said, victory belongs to you. Amen. You see, victory is yours today, but you've got to be on the prowl. You know, they were, they, they were, they were on alert. This person was. They were on alert. That the enemy was attacking them, trying to get back to them to go back into this particular addiction. But God didn't want them there. So they did the best thing. They called the person that they were lying with and they were saying, help. And I said, help's on the way. Here's what you do. Stand to your feet.